We're going to take a little break this morning from from Second Timothy. So uh, just a a brief diversion this morning, and uh, we're going to look to the Lord uh, in prayer. Let's let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your word that is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces asunder uh, to the thoughts and intents of the heart. And uh, we pray, Lord, as we uh, read and and think on your word this morning, you'll use it uh, in each of our lives. Lord, we want to be attentive and responsive to what you have to say to us. So by your Holy Spirit, we pray, speak to each of our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to focus on two uh, verses of God's word that I believe are the key to living a life that God desires for all of us as his children. Um, These verses tell us how we can know on a daily basis the will of God for our lives. You want to know God's will for your life? Is that a concern? What is God's will? What does he want me to do today, tomorrow? Um, I would go so far as to say this. If you will do daily what these verses ask you to do, I will guarantee that you will never miss the will of God for you. Guarantee. Money back. Uh, guarantee. Uh, if you will do what these verses ask you to do on a daily basis, you will never miss God's will for your life. Uh, I, I only make that guarantee because I think God's word makes that guarantee. He's the one who's making it. Actually, I have found myself returning again and again to these two verses in the 52 years that I have been a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, These are the verses, these two verses I come back to all the time uh, because I feel like we as Christians uh, on a regular basis, you know, we need to recalibrate uh, our lives and make sure we're back on track. And these two verses have helped me do that throughout my Christian life. So I'd ask you to turn in your Bible this morning to Romans chapter 12, the book of Romans chapter 12. If you're using one of the Bibles that you'll find there in the pew rack, it'll be on page 1,351, 1,351. And I, um, I'm going to read those two verses. Uh, you may want to follow along there um, in your Bible. Notice what uh, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration, says. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove, or know, or experience, what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what God's will is, right? It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And God says here, he wants you and me to know his will. Isn't that what it says in those verses? What an amazing statement. God wants you and me to know his good, pleasing, uh, and perfect will. But you'll notice in that verse, uh, verse 2, in, in those verses, verse 2 begins and says, um, um, there's a phrase down in the verse uh, towards the last sentence says, so that, so that you may know. 
So that. That's a conditional sentence, right? Something comes before that. So that. This is, has to happen so that you may know the will of God. Or, or some versions say, then you will know the will of God. So that's conditioned on some meeting some requirements here. And I believe that in this verse, God gives us three prerequisites that you and I have to meet if we really want to know his will for our lives. Before we look at those three prerequisites, I think it's important for us to notice the context of these verses. We tend sometimes to pull out some verses out of a context. I want you to notice the context of these verses right here. It begins, it says in your Bible, some of your Bibles begin with the word in verse 1, therefore, the, the NAS says, I urge you therefore. The word therefore means what? You have to look at what is, what is therefore, what is coming before that? Because that's the verse basis of saying, therefore, on the basis of everything that came before, what, notice what he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, or because of the mercies of God, I urge you to do these things. Well, what are the mercies of God? that uh, he's talking about how does god make his mercy evident to us well actually we don't have time this morning but when he says therefore he's actually uh beginning a second section of the book of romans the first section is chapters 1 through 11 is doctrine and the second section 12 through 16 is duty is practice the first part is principles the second part is practice so actually he's referring back to all 11 chapters of the book of romans that come before this in fact i just want to quickly mention what the mercies of god were that are talked about in the first 11 chapters you know how romans starts out uh, Romans is the clearest presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, verses uh, chapters 1 through 3 of Romans deal with the subject of sin and condemnation, right? You know the verses. Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's in Romans 3.23. And, uh, and then the Bible tells us later on, or Romans tells us later on, that the penalty of, of sin is what? Death, spiritual death, eternal death, uh, it is, the penalty is death. Romans chapter 1 through 3 tell us why we need mercy, because <laughs> we're under condemnation. We are in big trouble, because we're all sinners, and we're under God's condemnation and wrath. That's Romans 1 through 3. Romans chapter 4 and 5 talk about the mercy of justification. Listen, Romans 5, 1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be saved from the penalty of sin that Romans chapter 1 through 3 talk about. Chapters 4 and 5 talk about how can we be saved from that penalty of sin that's what we call justification god makes us holy through jesus christ we can be saved from the penalty of sin that's the mercy of justification then you get to chapter six and seven and he talks about the mercy of sanctification that is that god not only saves us but then he makes us like jesus christ romans 6 6 says we should no longer be slaves to sin we are to live a life that we are not slaves to sin that is you and i are to be saved from the power of sin not just pe- from the penalty of sin. Some people want a fire escape from hell and they want to be saved, but they forget that God saves us to change us and he wants to make us like Christ. So the mercy of sanctification, chapter 6 and 7. Get to chapter 8 and he talks about the mercy of glorification. That is, someday we will be like Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 8, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is, someday you and I will be saved from the very presence of sin. 
sin. When we, when Jesus Christ uh, comes and takes us to be with him. Chapters 9 through 11, if you know anything about the book of Romans, deal with God's mercy in election. That the sovereign God chooses uh, the nation Israel and he chooses from the Gentiles. And he says in Romans 9:15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. God chooses to have mercy on those that he wants to have mercy on. So when you read Romans 1 through 11, if you sit down and read it, it's like Paul's climbing up this big mountain. He's climbing a mountain. He's getting higher and higher on this mountain. And when he gets to chapter 11, he reaches the top, the peak of the mountain, and he can see a great panorama before him. And he breaks out in a great doxology of praise to God for what he has just seen. Look at look at chapter 11, verses 33. The ones, the verses that come just before the verses we're looking at. Look what he, look, look at his words in chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable his ways. This is, this is his response to the first 11 chapters of Romans. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, who became his counselor? Who has first given to him that he might be paid back, uh, to him again for from him through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen and you think he's finished with the book of romans right there right he says uh, you know god is so awesome and uh, he says amen but that's just that's just the conclusion of the first part then you come to chapter 12 therefore Therefore, on the basis of all of that, of God's mercy, um, he's overcome by the great mercies that God has shown in making us his children. In Christ, we who are condemned, were condemned, are justified. We who were sinners are now sanctified. And we who had no hope know that we will be glorified someday. Right? We will be like the Lord Jesus, the scripture says. So if you're a child of God by faith in Lord Jesus Christ, you can't help but be overwhelmed by the love and mercy that God has showered upon you. We should be overwhelmed by God's mercy when we deserve condemnation. So on that basis, God calls for a response from every single one of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. That brings us to verse 1 of chapter 12 again. He says, I urge you, therefore... I plead with you. I beg you. Now, my question there is, why does God plead and not demand? Why does God say, I plead with you? I urge you. I mean, he could just demand it here. But, you know, God has given us a will and he wants loving obedience, right? He wants us to respond in loving obedience. He will not compel compel you or coerce you. He gave Adam a choice to willingly obey or not. He gives you and me a choice to willingly obey or not. Now, what is it that God desires from us? He's urging us. He's pleading with us. What is it he pleading with us about here? I want you to notice there are three actions that God is asking of us in these verses. Very important. God is asking it of every single one of us here this morning who claim the name of Christ. I call them three prerequisites for knowing his will so that our lives will be used for his glory. If you want your life to be used for God's glory, then you must meet these three prerequisites. First one I want us to look at. There must be, he says, there must be a relinquishing of our bodies to God or a yielding or a presenting of our bodies to God. You know what it means to relinquish? It means to give up the right, turn over yield present okay notice he says i urge you brethren by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable god 
to God. You mean to tell me it is possible for a person to be a Christian, have trusted Christ, and never have given their body to the Lord? Apparently so. (laughs) Did you notice he says, I urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ is what he's saying. He's talking to Christians. And he's urging them to do this. So it's possible to be a believer and and not have done this. Because you know that when you and I trust Christ, at the moment we trust Christ, when I trusted Christ on February uh, 14th, 1959, and I, I asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior, I didn't understand everything that he wanted from me. Did you at the moment of salvation? Well, that's what, that's what growing and growing in the Lord is all about. We don't always understand everything that he desires of us. All right? So, and, and let me say, sometimes we talk about giving your life to the Lord. You know, we use that phrase, giving your life to the Lord. The reality is you and I can't give our life to the Lord. I cannot give tomorrow to the Lord. I cannot give next year to the Lord. I don't have tomorrow. I don't have next year. But I can give my body to the Lord today. At this moment, I can do that. Because you see, if he has my body, he will have complete control of who I am, my total being, you see. God wants you and me to give total control of the use of our body to him. Often before we trust Christ, we use our body for sinful pleasures and purposes. But now that we belong to him, we want to use our body for his glory, don't we? I mean, those who don't know the Lord, they use their body for anything that, uh, you know, feels good, do it. If I, whatever, I, I'll, I'll do with my body what I want to do. It's my body, anyhow, that's what people say. I can do with it what I want to. That's not what God is saying here. In fact, you know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Listen, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Do you know that? If you claim Jesus Christ, you are not your own. You cannot do with your life whatever you want to do with it if Christ is your Lord. It says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. What was the price? The death of God's perfect son. It was a great price that he paid to purchase you. And then it says this. Therefore, honor God with your what? Body. With your body. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians. He said... His great desire was that Christ would be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Whatever, whatever way, Lord, I want you to be exalted in my body. You see, the only vehicle that you and I have for, for, uh, for honoring God is our body. I don't know about you. I don't go anywhere without my body. I mean, at least I haven't had any out-of-body experiences. And most people I know don't go anywhere without their body. The only vehicle that we have for honoring God is our body. And God wants us, to, uh, God wants exclusive rights to the use of your body, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet, the private members of your body, head to toe. He wants control of your body and the way it is used. And notice it says there, we are called upon to present our bodies. I'm calling it to relinquish our bodies. Okay. Now, the the way it's the the way it's tensed here, the verb. I urge you to present your bodies. It can have the idea of a point in my life where I make that commitment to the Lord. And you know, many of us can remember back when a challenge was given. If we were willing to give ourselves totally to the Lord, you know. And at that point in life, we said, Lord, here I am. All I am, I give to you for your purposes. 
my body, everything for your purposes. So it has that idea, a once for all act of dedication at a point in our lives. You know, like a bride and groom at the time of the wedding, uh, they make a commitment of, uh, of themselves to each other by taking a vow. This is the kind of thing it's talking about. But it's a dedication that is not just once, but it needs to be renewed and reaffirmed every day of my life as a Christian. It's like a marriage vow that you take once, but you need to reaffirm that vow right as time goes along you need to reaffirm that vow and so i believe we need to present our bodies afresh each day i believe that as a as a believer as a disciple of jesus christ i need to begin every day lord i present my body to you afresh for this day i don't want to use my body in any way that will displease you i want your holy spirit to fill and take control of my body I believe every believer needs to begin the day that way. Here I am again today, Lord. Yesterday's not, not sufficient for today. It's every day I need to begin. Romans 6.13 says this, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from, from the dead. We are to present ourselves to the Lord, relinquish our bodies. And notice he says here we are to give our bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. Now, you remember in the Old Testament, if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, how they used to sacrifice animals to the Lord, right? There were all these sacrifices they would make. They would take the lamb, put it on the altar, and the animal would be consumed in the fire. That was a dead sacrifice. Now it says God wants a living sacrifice from us. Okay, he doesn't want a dead sacrifice. But as someone said, the problem with a living sacrifice it keeps, is it keeps climbing down off the altar. That's the problem that we have, right? <laughs> That's why I believe we need to renew every day this commitment to the Lord. He says, we are to present our bodies how? As holy and acceptable. Notice those words in that verse, holy. That means set apart for God's use. That means being pure and righteous. Um, uh, we used to sing a song, uh, some of you may remember it, it was, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear. It went on and on, for the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, that's, that's a good song, that's good theology. Now be careful uh, little eyes what you see, or big eyes what you see. Um, and notice, it's interesting how he ends verse 1. He says, this is your spiritual service of worship or your reasonable service of worship he's talking about worship now he's not talking about corporate worship where we're gathered together as a body of believers here on a sunday he's talking about everyday life is to be an act of worship to the lord you see you and i are to engage in all our activities whether in the classroom at home in the office in a spirit of conscious intelligent and consecrated worship to the lord we are to yield our body so completely that we worship him whatever whatever we do um, or wherever we are. The fact is, if God does not have control of my body during the other six days of the week, my worship on Sunday amounts to very little in God's sight. See, if I come to church on Sunday and I worship corporately, but the other six days of my life, I do what I want to with my body. And I use it for things that are dishonoring to the Lord. I don't think my worship on Sunday amounts to, as we say, a hill of beans uh, before the Lord. He's talking about seven days a week worship here, an act of worship. And Warren Wiersbe says this means that every day is a worship experience when your body is yielded to the Lord. 
every day when our bodies belong to the Lord and he uses them for his glory. Whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, it's a worship to the Lord. In fact, this is the way the Bible puts it in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do with your body, eat or drink, or whatever you do with your body, it says what? Do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. That's pretty basic, right? Eating, drinking. I mean, I do that for the glory. Everything we do, we should do for the glory of God is what it's saying here. So prerequisite number one, if I want to know God's will in my life and blessing is this, I must relinquish control of my body to God. I must present my body to him for his control. Let me ask you, my friend this morning, has there been a point in your life where you said to the Lord, I want to give you control, body, soul, and spirit, totally control of my life. That can be an important point in our lives as Christians uh, when we do that, body, soul, and spirit. But he doesn't stop there. Notice the second prerequisite that is he spells out here. And that is, he says, there must be a resisting of the world's pattern. Look at verse 2 again. And after you present your body to God, do not be conformed to this world. One version puts it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Another version says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I remember when I was a kid, my mother used to make these nice jello molds. She had these fancy molds with all this design. She would make this jello and pour it into the mold. And after a while, I guess in the, in the fridge, she'd take it out and turn it over. And whoa, there was this beautiful jello. And, uh, it looked just like the mold. It, it conformed totally. It was exactly duplicate to what the mold looked like. And that it says here we should not be letting the world squeeze us into its mold. Uh, I don't know if you ever feel like the world squeezing you or trying to squeeze you into its mold. You know, what is the world anyhow? What does it mean, the world? Well, it refers to the system of beliefs and values and morals, the spirit of the age at any time current in this world. The sum of contemporary thinking, the values, uh, these values form the moral atmosphere of our world. And listen, it is always dominated by Satan. Do you understand that? The world system is always dominated by Satan. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians. It calls him the God of this world. He is the God of this world. So the world system is dominated by Satan and is trying to squeeze us into its mold. And by the way, the world system stands in opposition to Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Did you know? You ever notice that? You can talk about just about anything, anything. Just start talking about Jesus Christ and, oh, people all of a sudden kind of get, you know, uptight. There's something about that. Or the Word of God. Uh, it, people are uh, in opposition to that. Listen to this. Listen to this warning from the Apostle John. It says, everything that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, you know, we always want more, always want more. The lust of the eyes, the the things that our eyes look at and lust for, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But listen, the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's, That's pretty sobering. The world and its desires will pass away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Is it important to know God's will? <laughs> he who does the will of God abides forever. I want to do God's will, right? The world and its desires 
We breathe it every day. Magazines, newspapers, radio, TV, billboards, music, movies, internet, etc., etc. Do you ever feel like the world's trying to pressure you into its mold? What it believes, its values, its morals, its goals? Uh, Pastor Joshua Harris says this, modern media is after our hearts, seeking to instruct us about what is good, worthwhile. It's defining our reality, telling us what romance is, what family is, what things we should own. Even though we know what what is true about God, our hearts can be far from him because media has grabbed our hearts and enticed us to love the world. I mean, and and the media has more tools than it has ever had. And it's constantly bombarding us all day long. Day after day, we're bombarded by the lack of, by the world's values and goals and morals or the lack thereof. It, it, it seeks to mold and exert pressure on us, not only in areas such as dress and diet, but in more serious areas of morals, ethical standards and religious beliefs. Whether you realize it or not, the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. What, what, are a couple, what are some of the things that characterize our world system? I could mention a number, but I want to just mention two. Um, the first one is the word relativism. Our world system says right now there is no absolute truth, right? There is no such thing as absolute truth. What's true for you is not true for you, may not be true for you. If it's true for me may not be true for you. Everybody has their own truth. There is no transcendent moral truth. That's what our world system is saying today. So you can believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And, you know, the sobering thing is that uh, George Barna, who does a lot of surveys, has said that uh, some of the surveys show that oftentimes those who claim who claim to be Christians, their their uh, uh, beliefs are not that far different from the world's. Uh, it's, it's sobering sometimes to read, read the results. Before we know it, we can be subtly squeezed into the way the world looks at things. So, well, I'm not going to force, you know, my religion on you because you have your beliefs, right? And to say that Christ is the only way, that's, that's being, uh, you know, uh, egotistical. The other word that characterizes our world system is the word syncretism. Syncretism. That means I take a little bit of this philosophy, a little bit of this one, this religion, this religion. I mix them all up. And I believe, I believe a, con- a conglomeration or whatever. And a lot of people like that today. They talk about being spiritual. They like being spiritual, the word is used. And they've taken a lot of different things from a lot of different systems. Um, Again, Barna says, all too often the values of the Christians bear little resemblance to the biblical principles they have been taught. The core values of the church are a mixture of the world's values and a series of spiritually oriented preferences. I asked you a question this morning. I don't know if you ever thought about this question. If there are so many in America who call themselves evangelical Christians, I don't know what the figure is, but it's a high figure who would say that they are a Christian, evangelical Christian. Why is there so little influence on our culture, its morals, and its values? Why? Why does our culture continue to deteriorate? I don't know. Jesus talked about the salt losing its savor, didn't he? If it loses its savor. And, and, and this statement from Barna, we conclude that Christians have a limited influence on American society because we do not live differently and thereby model an alternative lifestyle for others to emulate. <laughs> they don't see anything different about Christians. That's a serious thing. Because this is saying, don't be conformed to the world. I have to resist the world's pressure on me uh, every day, every day. God says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Listen to what Peter says. 
do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. In all your behavior, be holy. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Do you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Are you consciously and consistently resisting the world's pressure to squeeze you into its mold? I I think a lot of times of young people today who are in high schools or universities of our culture, our country, and the things that uh, they are being taught, uh, trying to squeeze their thinking and beliefs into the world system. A dominating world system, and I don't have time to get off on this, is evolution. I get nauseous reading this stuff. And the, the tragedy is that many Christians who claim to know Christ and say they believe the Bible are trying to jam evolution somehow into the Bible. It cannot be done. I will maintain you cannot do that. Uh, you're going to have serious problems trying to do that. Either God created us, male and female, in the image of God for his glory, or we're a bunch of animals. When they have riots in London and they're carrying on and burning everything down, if you teach people they're animals for 50 years, what do you expect them to act like? Animals. We shouldn't be surprised. There are no moral absolutes, right? What's right for me may not be right. I'll do what I want to. We are reaping the results, and so my own feeling is it's just a matter of time till we have the same thing happen in our country. I don't think it's going to be long till we have the same kind of riots going on here because we have built the same foundation. We have to resist the world's pressure. That's what it says, right? Are you resisting? I feel like every day it's like, no, I, I, that's, not, that's not true to Scripture. I, you know, I have to resist. Now, question, what is the secret to resisting the world's pressure? How do we do that? How do we do that? Do we just screw up our, you know, our courage every day and say, no, no. Well, I think prerequisite number three answers the question. That is, it says right here that there must be a renewing of our mind. Our mind has to be renewed. Notice what he says there, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. We need our mind renewed. That's the key. The Greek word for transformed is the one we get our word metamorphosis from. You all remember biology class, right? Studying about the uh, little caterpillar that goes inside the cocoon, you know, and when it comes out, it's a beautiful what? Butterfly. Totally changed. A metamorphosis took place. That's the word that's used here uh, in this verse. Be transformed. Be changed. As Christians, we should be changed. Um, in fact, the Bible says, Second Corinthians 5.17, If anyone be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's a metamorphosis that's being talked about. God wants you and me to have a, a totally new way of thinking. It says in Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to submit our reason and our mind to the authority of the word of God. Everything has to be filtered through this word, the grid of this word. Everything I'm taught, everything people tell me, everything our culture says, we are to submit it to the word of God. Warren Worsby says, if the world controls your thinking, you are a conformer. If God controls your thinking, you are a transformer. (laughs) We have to ask ourselves as Christians, when we go into a situation at work, at school, wherever it is, are we going to be a conformer? Or are we going to be a transformer? The situation is impacted because of our lives. 
and the way we live our lives. You see, now we understand why is it so important that God has control of our bodies? That's the first thing he asked for, right? Give me your body. Why is it so important that God has our bodies? Because listen, nothing reaches your mind without going through your body, right? We talk about the five senses. Nothing gets to my mind without going through my body, right? (laughs) Goes through the ear gate, goes through the eye gate. So the control of my body is very important. You see, God is saying, does it really matter what I read? Does it really matter what I watch? Does it really matter what I listen to? Well, it's all, all going to impact my mind, right? You know, the old saying used to be, as far as computers go, garbage in, what? Garbage out. It's, you put, what you put in is what you're going to get out. And if I, as a Christian, am putting garbage in my mind, I can't expect anything else to come out of my life. Uh, but I, I'm amazed, I have to tell you, I am amazed today uh, that I, uh, the things I hear Christians saying that they will expose themselves to their minds. Larry Poland, who is the head of a group called Master Media, a Christian ministry to those who are involved in film and, and television and all that. He's been in that, in, in that area for many years. He says, I think probably only one person in a hundred has any clue how much they are influenced by the media. And one of the frightening things to me is the extent to which those who profess to be born-again Christians, now listen, basically watch the same number of hours of TV, watch the same number of films, and even more frightening to me, they watch the same kind of TV shows and film. We have to acknowledge and live our life on the principle that what we take in, we do become. How can I determine what I should watch on a television set? What kind of movies I should go see? What kind of books I should read? Well, a good place to start is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about those things. God says, think about those things. Gives us a standard. It's Philippians 4, verse 8. The key instrument for the transformation of our minds is the word of God. The word of God. God transforms our minds and makes us spiritually minded by using his word. When you and I spend time reading, meditating, memorizing the word of God, our thinking is transformed. We begin to evaluate everything by the word of God. Um, I have used this quotation from Pastor Kent Hughes uh, many times, um, especially in dealing with, with men. But I want you to listen to what he says. He says, you can never have a Christian mind without reading the scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. If you are filled with God's word, your life can then be informed and directed by God. The way to a Christian mind is through God's word. So we need to ask ourselves this morning this couple of questions. How much time do I spend in God's word compared to the time I spend filling my mind with other things? How much time do I spend in God's word in any given week? Is it 30 minutes on Sunday? I open my Bible in church, fine, rest of the week, never open it. How does 30 minutes in church, in the word, compare to my exposure to AV stimuli during the other six days of the week? The psalmist said it this way, how can a young man or old man, young woman, older woman, keep his way pure? How can they do that? The psalmist asked that question. And then he answered the question by what? Living according to your word. Then he said, I have Your word I have what? Hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the way he says to keep your way pure. Hide the word of God in my heart. 
How much scripture have you hid in your heart in the past month or year? You know, I, the Lord convicted me on this a couple of months ago. You know, I often use my iPhone um, when I'm in downtime, you know, like standing in the line at the post office, the grocery store, or waiting for Shirley to come out of Kohl's. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting in the van. Uh, I often get my iPhone out and, you know, I go to Facebook, see what's going on, go to the news, uh, check my email. And, and, and you know, it, it, the Lord convicted me about that. I found a Bible memory program called Fighter Verses that I downloaded. And my, my screen, my, when it, you know, comes up on the screen, it's the scripture verse that I'm supposed to be memorizing. Remember the Jews had these things they would wear on their arms? What they call them? Phylacteries? Or those ones on the head. They had them on their head and on their arm. But they carried some scripture inside of it. Well, I kind of like think about this as my phylactery. Uh, but now when my, when my phone comes on, right there's the scripture verse. And the verse for this week was Philippians 2.13. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God that works in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. But it's a serious question, my friend. How much time or, or how much scripture memory or how much word of God are we hiding in our hearts? I, I, it's so easy to spend our time on things that mean absolutely nothing. Um, so I commend to you a, 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 a program for your phone. If you have one, Fighter Verses it's called. But along with memorized reading the word of God daily, being in the Word of God, I think we also need to be reading good books. Let, let me ask you a question. How many good, challenging Christian books have you read lately? And I am not referring to Christian romance novels. No way am I referring to those. I'm, I'm talking about reading books that challenge your thinking and your Christian walk. I want to give a challenge to you this morning. Okay? Take 30 minutes a day out of your TV watching and use it to read some spiritually stimulating book in your life. And I want to, I want to mention two that you can start with. Okay. Two that I would commend to you and not thick, not, not big, easy to read. This one's called don't waste your life by John Piper. This is the one we give out to college to graduates every year. Don't waste your life. We don't want to waste our life. We don't want to stand before the Lord someday and he says, what did you do with your life for me? Well, I sat every evening in front of the TV and watched program after program. Do I want to say that to the Lord? You know, I find Christians that say, I don't have time to teach Sunday school. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. And a lot of times I would say, look, if you cut out an hour, an evening out of TV watching, I think you would have some time to study the word of God. Now, I know nobody here watches TV every I I know that. Okay. I'm talking about all the other people that didn't come this morning. Okay. But I would challenge us. Read. Read books that are going to challenge you in your Christian life. Like, don't waste your life. Another one, this is hot. This is now a New York Times bestseller called Radical. Radical by David Platt. I've been on his website of his church this past week. I watched three sermons by him. Uh, this guy is 32 years old. Pastoring a church of 4,000 down in, but he wrote a book called Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. Don't be squeezed into the mold of the American Dream, he's saying. Look at what Bibles, the Bible says what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Radical. I challenge you, I dare you to get a copy and read it. 
You can go on Amazon and you can find it easily. By the way, ironically, John Piper's about 65 years old, been a pastor of his church 30 years. Dave Platt's 32 years old, been the pastor of his church about five years. He's got the extremes of, of ages there. Whatever that means, I don't know. But young man, older man. And when you finish these two, let me know and I'll give you some others to read. All right? When you finish, let me know and I can give you some others to read. You know, the psalmist says this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, uh, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the, of the scorners. Blessed is the man. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night, meditating on the word of God. Are are you and I filling our minds day and night with the word of God? Are we being transformed with our mind being renewed by the word of God? So how can you and I know God's will? How can we be sure never to miss God's will for our lives? How can we be sure that he will be able to use our lives for his glory? Those verses, God, I think, gives us very clearly three prerequisites. I like to think about them this way. As I was thinking about it the other night, first of all, I have to relinquish my body to God. Okay, I relinquish my body to God. I give it to him. Secondly, I have to resist, resist the world's pressure to conform me to everything. And thirdly, I need to be transformed. And then I'm back to, I need to relinquish my body to God. I need to resist the world. I need to be renewed in my mind. Every day, I mean, every day, that's an ongoing process, right? I need to constantly relinquish my body to God. I need to resist the world. And I need to be renewed in my mind by the word of God is what it's saying here. On a daily basis, it is a lifetime process that we need to be doing these things in our lives. And so my challenge to every one of us this morning on the basis of God's word is, I urge you, therefore, brethren... Because of God's great mercies, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is only a reasonable service for worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or know or experience what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God, give us the grace to take his word and apply it in our lives. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the clarity of your word. And Lord, we don't want to waste our lives. We want to know your will on a daily basis in our lives as we walk with you and grow with you. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us on a day-by-day basis to relinquish our bodies to you as living sacrifices, to let your Holy Spirit fill and control our bodies, our lives. Help us, Lord, to resist the world system that's trying to mold us and squeeze us into its values and goals and priorities. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be renewed in our mind through your word. 
May we daily hide your word in our heart that we may not sin against you. Lord, we pray as we go through this week that you will use each one of us, wherever it is, at school, at work, at home, that we would be used for your honor and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.